Too many who know the angles Uncover and untangle All the questions and the webs left out to tangle be in Dapper Dan Gavazdan, and I own every issue of Amazing Spider-Man, including the annuals, which definitely count. And I'm mischievous Mark Giannacchio, and I too own every issue of Amazing Spider-Man, but Dan, the annuals don't count. Welcome to the Amazing Spider-Talk, the show where two fans and collectors uncover the strange, fun, and fascinating history of the Spider-Man comic universe. Thanks for joining us for this review episode of the Amazing Spider-Talk. Today on the show, Dan and I are going to be discussing Giant Size, Amazing Spider-Man, The Chameleon Conspiracy Number 1, the conclusions of the Chameleon Conspiracy arc. This issue was written by Nick Spencer and Ed Brisson, with pencils by Zay Carlos, Carlos Gomez, Marcelo Ferreira, and Ig Guara, inks by Zay Carlos, Carlos Gomez, Ig Guara, and Wayne Foucher, Colors by Andrew Crossley, Rachel Ro- Rochelle Rosenberg, and Maury Hollowell, and letters by VCs Joe Caramunga. The covers by Mark Bagley, Andrew Hennessy, and Brian Reber. This issue was first released on June 30th, 2021. My goodness, that's a lot of names, Dan. Well, you know, when they, when they say giant size, the credits page took that to heart. <laughs> I mean, this, this may be the most number of creators we've gotten on an issue like this short of like a centennial or something like that. Mark, do you think this issue lives up to that level of cohesion or creative juices being pumped in by all these people oh we want to start this night off on a positive note don't we dan huh (laughs) (laughs) i mean on uh, bluntly no (laughs) i don't know dan i mean yeah i i guess there was some fun to be had in this comic in a kind of fluffy marshmallowy way but like overall like I don't know. I, I found this arc to be uh, a, a bit of a dud, probably the weakest arc that we've had in this creative run since certainly the 2099 one, maybe even weaker in a lot of ways, because I think this one was building on a lot of ideas established earlier in Nick Spencer's run. But like, I don't know. I don't know if it was just that it didn't pay these off or the payoff just wasn't satisfying or just kind of dull. But either way, I, I, I did not put this issue down a thinking, man, I got a hell of a ride at, for what was it? Five ninety nine, six ninety nine. I mean, what, what, what are they? I'm looking at my comic right now. Five ninety nine. I, I, I just this just seemed very bloated. And this whole arc seemed very inconsequential. And I don't get why we got this when we got it. So that's my big long-winded rant. Do you feel differently, Dan? 
No, I mean, I don't think in essence, I feel all that differently from you. I, I think this is maybe the best of this arc in, in that it's actually paying off. And I say that loosely paying off you know, the, the rest of the setup to the arc. I mean, this is where all of the things happen in the story. I don't really understand why we had to have so much wind up to this. And I imagine it may just be to kind of give Spencer a bit of a pause while he can get ahead on writing Sinister War and all that stuff, because he's about to do a massive sprint to the conclusion of his run here. Yeah. I just think plotting wise, like there's a bunch of stories here that are smashed together that don't really, I don't know what they have to do with each other, you know, uh, inherently. Like, I don't really know what the chameleon or Teresa's story has to do with the clairvoyant story. I, I understand that they are tangentially linked, but I, I expected them to kind of dovetail a little bit more here. And instead it seems like we kind of get like a perfunctory ending to both that doesn't really change anything or make any declarative statement. And, you know, it feels just kind of wishy-washy. And that's true of like the whole creative thing here. We got four artists on one issue and this isn't like a celebration of Spider-Man artists. These are clearly fill-ins that are kind of picking up what pieces they can. And, you know, they've been doing this the whole run, this whole arc. I don't know why you didn't just give one person one issue and the next person, the next one, I, I I mean, it's kind of seamless. Marcelo Ferreira's stuff stands out the most to me, but it just, the whole thing feels like it's been cobbled together from a bunch of different stories and a bunch of different artists. And then I don't really know what we get in the end. My issues are really not with the art in this. I mean, I think, like you said, I mean, the art for the most part is is fairly cohesive and, and you know, yeah, I mean, there are some sections that seem a little more elegant and and well rendered than others but like nothing nothing that also was kind of like a demerit from from my standpoint you know from a visual you know visually speaking but like yeah i mean this story like you know we 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 got we got we, like you said we were we, we were just throwing like a bunch of ideas out there but like nothing that really links anything together in a meaningful way and and you know i mean the fact of the matter is i mean this whole issue is the the chameleon conspiracy and yes i i understand that some of the villains of the myriad of villains that spider-man fights in this issue are essentially like you know chameleon clones or whatever you want to call them but like you know it's the chameleon conspiracy and spider-man and the actual chameleon never face off in this comic it's just, which is kind of outrageous to me because he's one of his main rogues so like how do you gloss over that and and have spider-man spend his his time with all these like b-list D, not even b-list c or d-list villains and and plus like clones of those d-list villains or or or, or well, henchmen or whatever like, you want to call them not only is it not only is it d-list it, it's fake D-list. Like, it's not even the looter. It's not even the grizzly. It's the D-list chameleons. I, I don't even know how to qualify that. I mean, I, to, to add on to that, and I don't mean to cut you off, it's like, to me, like, this is kind of a fun standalone thing. Like, it's a big, dumb action spectacle in the sky. If it was just that, I think I would have enjoyed it just fine. Like, if if we got two issues of this or maybe like one large issue and one small issue where it was kind of big, dumb spectacle in the sky. I'm fine with that every once in a while in a Spider-Man book. 
but I don't know why we needed such narrative setup for something that was just so like punch bunch of guys and not be declarative on anything. It's just like, it's a mismatch of, of where you're placing your time and effort. Yeah. I mean, like you said, the action itself was, was, was fine. It was fun. I mean, like it was silly, you know, like, like you said, like in, 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 in isolation, it, you know, it, it works. Uh, if this was like, an annual and which we got we got one this week <laughs> although i don't know how consequential <laughs> it's going to be i would have been like all right you know like this kind of works it really it really really suffers from frankly from introducing all of this teresa parker and chameleon and and finisher mythology here like i think like you know to, they're, they're trying to introduce big ideas without really p- the proper set up or stakes attached to it in a way that matters nor do we really care about any i shouldn't say any of these characters most of these characters in this subplot and yet it seemed like this was kind of the central storyline of of this i mean of this plot yes i know spider-man is in this and drives the action more than he does in past issues but like you know it's you talk about the chameleon conspiracy and like you know the conspiracy is really more about what is what is Teresa parker which we don't even get resolved here. So it's just it's it's just a big it seems like a big jumbly mess. Why don't we talk about some specific things here? I mean, we could start with, you know, we kind of get this really cool setup page about Ned Leeds and the Hobgoblin, which is again visually arresting, but like I'm also like I don't know, like maybe I'm I've I've brought this up a couple times over the la- last few issues Dan, but like this whole Ned Leeds thing just kind of bothers me because I feel like we got this story with Ned's, you know, clone clone conspiracy, <laughs> always with the conspiracies. Clone conspiracy clone that Nick Spencer kind of put a bow on and then we bring back the actual Ned Leeds in a move that I don't, you know, once again, Nick Spencer, I think, kind of addressing continuity that no one was really asking for. We're n- we're not even talking about the clone anymore. Everyone just accepts that this is it, and I, I don't know. It's just something feels off to me about this, and 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 we're we're having Ned like drive the action and team up with Spidey here, and I don't know. Like it just, like I, I keep saying, it just feels off to me, Dan. Like I I don't quite get where where this is all coming from and and what this is trying to achieve i mean i buy that it's ned like it's the actual ned like i'm not suspicious of that although like i i I think there's room for another writer to really change that dramatically i mean as uh as convinced as i was that the last ned was the ned that we were going to have return I could be equally convinced that this one could be brushed under the rug just as quickly. I still don't understand why we've had to do this. I mean, I think this this issue maybe tells us why he felt like having the real Ned come back versus a clone of Ned come back was important because the like in this case it's literally the same guy on the same timeline who has the anger of hiding away for a decade to you know seek vengeance on the foreigner for what was done to him. But like, I don't think that the payoff here is worth that level of complication uh, that meant killing off that other Ned in that kind of weird way. Nor do I think we're really going to see much of a fallout from Peter's actions of hiding that body. So you're right. It's like either people need to be more suspicious or there needed to be a, a better reason for doing it this way. I mean, maybe we'll get Ned 
as the hobgoblin. We see him on the covers to Sinister War, and we don't. I don't think that that's going to be our old friend under that mask. It seemed like a lot to add this wrinkle of retconning Ned Leeds onto a story like this. Like, it didn't need all that extra stuff added on top of it. No, it didn't, because... And, and, and like, the, the, the top it off, like, you know, I guess... So are we to assume that he is still powered in part by the goblin serum? Because like he's going into the action here like he's a superhero, which is just again, like I guess it strikes me odd that Spider-Man would just be cool with that. Like, you know, like in the beginning, they kind of split up and it's like, here, you take care, you know, Spidey, you take care of Jamie. I got my own business here. And it's like, huh? Like, like the Spidey I know wouldn't be like, all right, cool, you know, intrepid reporter Ned Leeds go take on these super villains I, it just seems odd to me yeah <laughs> anything else to say it's just like we, we've gotten so far past the point of every single one of Peter's friends being super powered that it just it's become just a, an eye roll and Ned Leeds it's like I never expected we would get to this point like I said it comes out of nowhere and I, I, I don't quite get like, like I keep saying I don't care can't quite what we're trying to achieve in bringing him back here and in, in kind of not even really acknowledging this other Ned that existed and in, in his relation to everything. Like, I mean, is at any point has Peter even like monologued about the other Ned during all this? Yeah. Right. When, when, when Ned came back, when this Ned came back, Peter had like a monologue where he was like lamenting, you know, what he had done and that uh, she didn't know about it. So he does feel guilty about that in some regard from hiding that. But he's kind of over it now. Yeah, yeah. He, he gets over it pretty quick. But also, I, mean, I don't know, like, you know, and I know, like, it's comics and we've done this before, you know, characters hide in Europe or whatever. But like, it's just it all strikes me as odd that, like, you would use that card on Ned Leeds. And then that well, he would well, come. Well, who hasn't hid in Europe at this point? Right, I mean, right. But well, it's, uh, yeah, you know, but that's what I'm saying. It's like we're, we 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 got to just use use that trope for for Ned Leeds now, and then Ned Leeds comes back and can kick the foreigners' rear end. I it just it just it it doesn't work for me, Dan. That's the bottom line. I I I think this is this is just like you said. It's 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 spinning its wheels and onto you know, and and it's kind of frankly, I think a little beneath the book at this point because it's really straining like just just how much I have to buy into now you know like it's 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 eye rolling and you know and again I think this is Spencer doing what he's been doing this entire run which is like I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna retcon and 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 bring something back that never sat right with me even if nobody is asking for it which in this you know like you had Roger Stern come back to finish the story of the Hobgoblin the way he wanted to which we're going to talk about uh, in our season um, in our seasonal content in a few short weeks to me the Ned Leeds as the Hobgoblin saga was was over and I feel like Nick Spencer is like no it's not I'm gonna bring it back and it's it doesn't work. So we can let, why don't we move on a little bit? You know, it's bad when we're begging for the explanation of it's, it's a clone over right. what we got. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. I, I, I would. I, or if it's another chameleon character or something, which could be the case, given everything else in this issue, although they really don't hint at that either. So I, I don't know. It's it's all ridiculous. But like you said, we get to see Spider-Man and Ned Leeds fight, you know, basically a bunch of chameleon disguised villains. (laughs) 
And that brings us to the what do you the holographic prison cell of <laughs> the chameleon and the finisher and Teresa Parker and we get a, v- a very kind of out of nowhere retcon of the chameleon's past you want to break this down a little bit Dan yeah well I'm not really sure what to make of this I don't know if it's all hologram or if this is like a chameleon acting troupe that's like putting on this performance but like we we see them or or the hologram reenacting Dimitri's young life as a boy apparently was taken away by the finisher to live and trained to be a chameleon. It would first appears to be like, oh, you're naturally talented at this like thing. But now there's a school for chameleons, which Teresa recognizes. So like this is, you know, officially confirming our suspicions last episode that. There is a school for chameleons like the Red Room where all these people are trained to chameleons. And this is a total retcon. Nothing like this existed in chameleons past before he had left, you know, to come to America and discovered this, that he had this special talent in, you know, portraying other people, which led him to a life of crime. Now he has been specifically trained to do this alongside a bunch of other people. Mark, how long do you think this retcon lasts? I don't know, but like, you know, I I do think it's worth saying, I mean, putting aside the the merits of like what, you know, how long this retcon will last and who's going to honor it. I mean, like to me, it's disappointing only in the fact that like, you know, it it takes the chameleon who, you know, granted, there have been many long runs in Spider-Man history that I think have kind of diminished the chameleon standing and others who've kind of elevated him again. But like, if you're telling me that like he's just kind of one of several being trained in a school, I mean, like you're you're kind of taking away his gifts here. You know what I mean? It's it, I, I I I don't like it. I think like you're 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 this is a retcon that harms the 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 danger and the temerity of one of Spider-Man's oldest. I mean, frankly, his oldest rogue since he appeared in Amazing Spider-Man number one. You know, I, I don't quite again. I don't quite get the point of. You know, what what is what does having a school of chameleons who can kind of like infiltrate society like they're scrolls or something? What does this achieve? Like, you know, what are we now just going to are we going to treat it like the scrolls where it's like anyone could be a chameleon? I mean, then then who, you know, like Mary Jane can be one. I mean, like whatever. Like this this is this doesn't this doesn't seem to add up to something outside of just trying to play head games with people in a way that we've seen done in other comics and frankly done better. <laughs> well, I don't even know what it adds to this story. Like, what does it mean that the Grizzly and all are tearing their faces off and they're chameleons, you know? Why not just have them be hired rogues for the finisher? Like, I don't know what it adds that they're portraying. Or is it the actual Grizzly who's wearing a chameleon mask? Or is it... Like, uh, why not make them Roderick Kingsley hires? Right, that's what I'm um, saying. I mean, we bought where they bought the suit. Yeah, I mean, we had that a few years ago, and I frankly thought that was kind of cute in and in, in fun in a, in, a, in a way that, of course, the Hobgoblin would be renting out these personalities to to dime a dozen villains or, or criminals. Like you said, I don't I don't quite get what this achieves. What we're what we're going for here, you know, like to have these random guys just be chame- be revealed as chameleons too. And I, you know, and I understand that they're trying to build this, this mythology to torment Teresa Parker, but 
what does that mean compared to everything else that's being put out there here outside of just introducing a major retcon for a longstanding character? So, you know, everybody's chasing after the McGu- these twin MacGuffins, the clairvoyant and the catalyst, which neither of which I could care about for, for a second. You know, this gets to the kind of main story where, uh, you know, for Ned Leeds is that he confronts the foreigner, the man who had him killed, but he got better. And so he can, uh, confronts him and begins to kind of like beat the crap out of the foreigner. And, you know, I would buy that Ned Leeds would do that. Ned has always kind of been a bit of a tough guy. You know, he stood up for himself, you know, when 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 pressed. But, you know, skipping ahead in this story, you know, right as he's about to kind of like kill him, Spider-Man stops him and he kind of realized like, oh, my gosh, what what was I doing? What you have know, I, I done? Carried away. <laughs> yeah, right. And, then, you know, maybe, maybe that's the effect of the goblin serum on him, you know, kind of kicking in. But the disappointing thing is, but, you know, and really skipping ahead to the end, because let's just get this over with. The foreigner gets away at the end and there's no justice. I didn't really like I'm like, OK, you know, we're still not concluding this in some way. I mean. Not that the the foreigner getting locked away in prison would really um, amount to a whole ton because everybody breaks out of prison, but it would have been nice to see some conclusion to to the foreigner story. I mean, we get a little bit more, which I guess we can get to later, that maybe sets him up for sinister war. But I'm like, did we need? I don't need to keep reading about the 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 uh, the foreigner. I keep saying the finisher, the foreigner. Yeah, well, that 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 happens when you have too many similarly sounding yet uninspiring characters in one issue. And speaking of kind of like, you know, lame resolutions, I mean, we had, you know, Jamie, who was like ready to like sell out anyone and everyone because of quote unquote family over the clairvoyant, you know, at the end of this, you know, this near near death experience with this ship in the sky going down, basically kind of just give up the clairvoyant to Spider-Man and be like, no, you're right. I'm just not capable of dealing with it. And like kind of walking away and you're kind of like, oh, so we went through all that for do that. <laughs> it's like, okay. Well, right. Like what about his family? Does he come up with another way to feed his family? Like what, like what is like, I think he always knew he was doing something wrong. And I guess this is a way it blows up huge in his face. He nearly kills like a, like thousands of people. Although I would hardly argue it was his fault. But yeah, I don't know. It's just like another dangling thing out there. I guess we'll never find out what happens to Jamie's family because I don't expect we're going to see Jamie much into this new run, the Spider-Man Beyond. Maybe Dom from Fast and the Furious is going to show up with a shotgun and be like, what about your family? (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. You're jumping on that meme train. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) So, you know, we get back to Teresa where uh, the finisher suggests that, like, you know, I'm going to tell you who you are, but you could be one of many things. You could be a survivor of your parents plane crash, as you believed you were. You could be an orphan that was uh, trained to be a chameleon or you could be the child of two chameleons who killed and replaced Richard and Mary Parker, who themselves were never spies just accountants with a young son that you, you know, were never a part of their family. And when, when that was said, I got really excited because I was like, are we going here? Are we going to make Richard and Mary Parker not spies anymore? 
and this was all a fake out, you know, like that's a bold retcon that I could get behind no matter how it's delivered, like, you know, like un- undoing that. Yeah, I guess at this point, I mean, it's it's never really worked for the character, but yeah, I, I mean, this is this to me, this is just insanity to be kind of spending this level of of page count and and you know emotional stakes on a character that frankly i don't think anyone is emotionally invested in except for like the few like chip zadarsky spectacular spider-man diehards the thing that's a real letdown here is it's like okay all of this was for the finisher to manipulate Teresa because what does he want from her from her he wants the clairvoyant right and she literally doesn't have to do anything. Like she, it's not like she like shows up in the middle of this battle. And I mean, she's on the other side of the world, right? Yet somehow she's still able to show up in time for the end of this battle. So she shows up at the end and Spider-Man's just like, yep, here you go. T- take it. And, oh, okay. I, I guess I got it. You know, like, I, I don't know. I, I, we got I him. That if she was good. <laughs> yeah, we got him? <laughs> we got him. Yeah. Um, I, I guess, I guess it's just kind of like, I expected maybe for her to try to be subversive in some way, like to manipulate Spider-Man and her role as his sister, even though she might know that that's not true to get this thing. Like uh, that could be actually interesting, but instead it's literally, she shows up and he's like, I know you're capable of holding this, even though I've seen you lose your cool and, and kill some people or almost kill people. Like, it's just like, wait a minute. Even uh, even, even though in, in relative terms, I've known you for like three weeks I think you're capable. <laughs> right. Here, take this device, which she ultimately crushes because she's determined to create her own past and future. It doesn't matter. She can, you know, choose to be Peter Parker's sister. Okay. So, like, by the end of this story, we're basically back to where we were at the end of family business, which fine, you know, like fine, except that for the one thing that matters is not been changed at all, which is that Peter still thinks that she's his sister. Right now, this could obviously be changed at any point, but like, why not do it here? Why go through this whole thing and then just get it back to like the previous status quo? Maybe that's because I'm biased and I don't like this character and I want to get rid of her, but I'm like, I, I thought it was a real disappointment because we're basically where we are in everything but like name only, you know, like Peter thinks it's his sister. So it's his sister. Like, what does it matter if she's biologically not, I guess someone else could change it in a later point, but then why not just change it here? It's just funny that, you know, Nick Spencer has been Mr. Fix it through all of this arc. And yet here's the one thing like, you know, Dan Gavazin is like literally just clamoring (laughs) for week after week. Can we just fix this please? And he's just like, no, <laughs> I'm going to leave it for the next brain trust to deal with. <laughs> I mean, he doesn't have to do everything that I want. I mean, he's done plenty of fix it that I would never have spent time worrying about fixing. We're kind of now we're stuck with this like dumb Zadarsky hangover. And like, look, I've liked a lot of Zadarsky's like stuff. I think the current book he's doing is OK. I think life story was good. You know, a lot. I saw a lot of people clamoring for him to be like the main guy on Amazing Spider-Man, even after this Beyond thing, whatever, however long it lasts. And I'm like, look, I think Teresa Parker is case in point 
why you can't let Zdarsky write this title. Even the Jonah thing is well written. Say, as that I, issue he, is. he did. I don't want to call it damage because that's a negative connotation. But he he made a lot of very significant changes that I feel really are going to be tough to wiggle out of down the road if somebody wants to wiggle out of it. You know what I mean? Like these are now like pretty permanent mythology changes in Spider-Man's universe that that complicate things down the road and it's going to paint Marvel into a corner. So there you go. That's who you want doing this? I guess. I don't know. I thought that one issue that he won an Eisner for was kind of fun. There have been many comics that have said that about Spider-Man that haven't won Eisners, but his got one. So kudos. (laughs) 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 I mean, whatever. So why don't don't we also then talk about these other finalities with the foreigner and silver sable and then you know sound your kindred alarms because we get one of those yeah i mean i i do want to pay some lip service to like i think the whole like crashing of the ship thing and spider-man punching his way and pulling it up at the last second is fun you know like i've seen it a million times before but like the high stakes up in the air drama of him flipping webs everywhere is fun the mechanics of it all is a bit silly but like I, I, I thought it was pretty fun time to see all of those visuals. So like to me, that's like the plus of this book is like dumb, fun action. Right. So but the extreme counter to that to me is what you're alluding to, which is this silver sable foreigner thing. Like the funds are drying up and the foreigners pissed off about it. And I have no idea what any of this means. Like I couldn't care. I just have no idea what it means. And I'm a guy that picks this thing apart every week. Yeah, I mean, he's blaming Spider-Man and Ned Leeds and Sable. It looks like Sable's the one who screwed him, though. But then, you know, but we're going to bring in Taskmaster and Black Ant, who, you know, are really just being used to the fullest extent as hired goons in this arc, which is, again, a little disappointing. I mean, you know, I guess I guess the the Taskmaster appearance is, is pertinent with Scarlet uh, with Black Widow coming out in you know this weekend. I don't know, but it just seems kind of like uh, okay. So we're he's we're doing this again. His roster for the Sinister War. Yeah, know? he's got to have his own team. Yeah, I guess. <sighs> Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> but so, what do yeah, you make of this kindred saying, appearance then? With this, like, he needs the serum from the chameleon. Yeah, I don't really know what to make of it. The the more interesting thing is like he needs the serum from the chameleon. Uh, and Chameleon puts it as appearances and all. I, I think we're meant to believe that like part of Kindred's appearance is something as a result of the like a serum that the Chameleon has. Now, I don't know what kind of serums Chameleon has because he's not really a guy that I've known as like a serum-y kind of guy. And I don't really know like what that connection with Kindred is. I, I don't know that these characters have been connected. So this seemed totally out of left field for me. I don't want to invest too much in it, but you know, even after that, like the appearances and all thing, Chameleon still calls him Osborne. You know, I don't think the takeaway is supposed to be that it's not Harry Osborne in some way more than it is like maybe the like centipede appearance of it all is like a chameleon costume uh, of some kind, like the creepy smoky, whatever of kindred is chameleon stuff although that Um, would still make more sense if it was mysterio who he was linked to initially so yeah i don't i don't quite get that 
either. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I don't really get it. I mean, because Kindred does seem to have supernatural powers in that he's communicating to people through their brains. Like, an extension of his outfit being, like, something fake seems seems kind of strange to me. I mean, again, we can't really prejudge because I don't know what this means. If I were to guess, it's, like, basically to suggest that, like, how he's formed as a visual isn't real, which I don't love, but... Uh, We'll, we'll see. I mean, was that your takeaway? Yeah, I guess. I mean, you know, I, I you know, the, then there was just a part of me that was wondering, like, are we just playing lip service to, like, you know, the uh, the Harry Osborne chameleon connection back from, like, you know, the end of the David Michelinie run of the of the 90s? I mean, maybe, you know, maybe the serum is what's keeping this demonic version of Harry Osborne alive. I don't know because, uh, you know, and not to jump ahead, but you know, in, in the most recent issue of amazing Spider-Man, there are questions of that now, <laughs> you know what I mean? So, so it, it could be something related to that. Like, you know, like, you know, there was enough of a, you know, even though we we got the sense way back in the day in the nineties, when they first teamed up that, you know, Harry was kind of, pulling the strings from beyond the grave. Maybe it wasn't beyond the grave. <laughs> I don't know. So I guess we'll find out. <laughs> so then we have like one of our kind of like standard, you know, backups of auto recruiting members to the Sinister Six, you know, which, which is interesting. We have not had the original Sinister Six together, I think since the first annual, like all of the original cast members. Yeah, well, because Craven was dead by the time they got back together during the Larson and Michelinie run, so that makes sense. Right, so like recruiting this Craven here is kind of a big deal. He hasn't really been a part of the team in a very long time. I will say, though, I found it very odd that this Craven looked like the original Craven, not the new clone Craven who has all those tribal tattoos. So this seemed like an art mistake to me. Which to me seemed like a strange art mistake because you go through all the trouble of like creating this ostensibly new quote unquote craving character, and then your first like kind of appearance of him since you don't keep it accurate. I, I don't know. Uh, I don't know what kind of materials they provide these artists, but I was like, I don't know. I'm, this is my like push up my glasses with my finger nitpick. But well, what what can you say? It's it's a it's a worthy nitpick. I mean, you're. I mean, like, can we be consistent? But I guess not. You want to do a grade? <laughs> yeah, this one's a C minus to me. Uh, I'm going D plus again. I mean, I know that the action was better on this, but like the bloat of this comic just kills it for me, Dan. I mean, you know, like maybe maybe if the action was condensed into a normal sized issue, I would have liked it more. But like all this other stuff just really drags it down. And, you know, I, the D plus for this issue. And I, I think the whole arc was a D plus, frankly. It just was really weak. I agree. I don't think it's as weak as the 2099 arc, but I think it's fairly close. Before we go, I mean, I, I think the difference between this and the 2099 arc was this this was set up in a way to bring resolution to a lot of the earlier ideas that Spencer was planting during this during his run. And, and the fact that this is where we're at to me makes it more disappointing. So I kind of grade it more harshly, I think, than maybe the 2099 one, which was clearly just... Let's let's cross something in, you know, from a larger Marvel event. And even though it doesn't make sense and kind of drags the title down, it, it, I don't know. That's just me. I totally agree with you. I think the art is better here. Although I guess, you know, we had the Patrick Gleason debut in that 2099 arc, which was fabulous. 
I don't even know what happened in that story. Like it's just, it was so impossible to decipher. At least here I can like, I understand the moving pieces and how it fits together. Even if I found it, you know, disappointing. Shall we go home, sir? I think it's a fine idea. Okay, cheerio. So it is that time. (laughs) Time for all good things to come to an end. So we want to say thank you to you, the listeners and viewers, for tuning in to this episode of The Amazing Spider Talk. Yeah, this episode was edited by Rick Coast with production support from Andy Myers. Our artwork comes handcrafted by artists Ron Friends, Sal Buscema, and Ray Sumzer. Our theme songs were produced by Rylan Bojack, Tony Thaxon, and Spider Madge. This episode was originally released on Patreon as a live stream hangout with us back when the comic was first released. So if you'd like to help support our show's continued existence and these reviews while joining us on the live stream, why not head on over to our Patreon and sign up? So, Mark, until you pull your face off to reveal another mask covering your actual face, what's our motto? (laughs) Our motto, of course, is with great podcasts, there must also come, yoink, the amazing spider talk. Don't miss the next installment.